Welcome to the New Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Nickel. Hello and welcome. I'm glad that you're here. I hope you are doing well today. And I hope you are ready to take some notes because my guest today has so much wisdom and insight to share. I know you're going to appreciate it as much as I do, and you'll find it so valuable. His name is Lawrence Patrick, and one of the things I really love and appreciate about Lawrence is he has a career that includes leadership roles, not just in different organizations, like small ones, big ones, but across different industries. And he'll speak a little bit to that when we talk, so listen in. But I'm really excited for you to get to meet him and to receive some of the insight and just brilliance that he has to share. So get something to write with, get ready to take some notes, and here we go. All right, so I am so happy to be here with Lawrence Patrick. And will you share with our audience just a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Lawrence Patrick. Uh, my current role is head of growth and strategy for Zerilio. Zerilio is an Australian cybersecurity startup company. Um, and we're doing our part to keep leading organizations in Australia safe. Um, you've probably heard a lot about ransomware and other types of cybersecurity threats and attacks. And, you know, that's our jam. That's what we do. Um, we have ZSOC, which is our security operations center. It provides uh, 24 by 7 monitoring and, uh, you know, assertive alerts around um, the infrastructure for networks and um, all kinds of technology related to uh, moving information and data around. And we keep everybody safe by letting people know when there are problems and working really hard to help them um, fight back against uh, cyber criminals and, and the bad guys out there in, in cyberspace. That is so important. I'm so glad to know that you're on that because that sounds like <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you say that because a lot of times people go, how did you know? Because I, I, I joined this company, you know, just as uh, ransomware attacks started to spike. And so people started to see it in the headlines. It was something they had never heard of and weren't really um, aware of. And then suddenly there's a deluge of stories and headlines talking about ransomware and a cyber they're like lawrence you just seem to always skate to where the puck is how did you know this was going to be you know the next big thing and i and i promise a, a lot of it is just uh being lucky but uh but yeah it's true it's uh it's a really important work and i'm glad to be doing it yeah well and you know so we met a couple of years ago when you were doing something different and one of the reasons i wanted to have you on the show is because you have experience in leadership roles in different kinds of organizations, like little small ones, really big ones, but also in different industries. Right. And so I think your perspective on people management will be so mm. interesting and so valuable for my audience listening. So I'm curious to know, like in your, in your thoughts from the organization that you just came from to the one that you're in now, what have you learned as you've gone through different transitions that help that help you now to do the job that you do? Yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, I've pivoted a number of times in my career, but kind of the theme or the common thread has been leadership and, you know, being in a position where I had direct responsibility 
for management and you know leading teams uh, like you said sometimes really small teams sometimes really big teams um, but that's kind of the common thread and and I have learned some things along the way um, that I'm just convinced these are like some of the kind of key um, you know key things to think about as as a leader whether you're a new leader or um, you're stepping into a new role for me it was switching industries and coming to an entirely different um, space I had not worked in cybersecurity before um, definitely worked in technology but never specifically in cybersecurity it's highly specialized and so um, you know it is a different context but you know a lot of the skills and um, ideas for leadership carry over and and transfer really well you know for me I would say the most important skill as a leader is the ability to listen and you know we talk a lot about the importance of communication communication is really 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 important but communication is uh, it's a two-way thing I mean usually when we talk about communication what we mean is what do I want to say like we spend a lot of time very focused on what do I want to tell people and that's that's communication well actually it was two ways and the listening side of communication is a really important part of communication and so as a leader getting really good at being able to listen to individuals listen to teams and listen to the organization as a whole um, is really an important skill um, and I like to use this expression of listening with your whole self you know if you just could imagine your you know your arms you know stretched out and you're just absorbing the rays of the sun it's like that like that's how listening has to work you have to be really really open it's hard to listen with your arms crossed you know you have to be just really open to whatever you might hear even if it might be unsavory or go you know go against what your assumptions are coming into the conversation um, as a leader i think it's really important also to give people the time to speak some people speak very quickly, some people don't, some people need a minute to get it out. But as the leader, you have to convene and create that space for people to be able to open up and tell you what they think is going on. And, you know, matching your pace to the pace of the other people in the team and the other people in the discussion is really important because if you're a naturally fast paced person, it's important to slow down Otherwise, you won't really hear what they're saying. You'll just go, yeah, yeah, got it. Uh-huh. Okay, got it. You know, and you see that happen a lot. But you really do have to force yourself. If you're a fast-paced person, you have to force yourself to slow down. And if you're a naturally slow-paced person or you need a minute, you're going to have to accelerate. You're going to have to figure out how to um, accelerate your ability to listen to really take in all the information that's being thrown at you. So I would say listening, you know, more than any other thing, there, there are a few other things, but I would say listening is like the number one thing. And just by being a great listener, you, you can do so much, even when you switch context. You know, there's something you just said a moment ago that I wanted to ask you about, and it was mm -hmm. around adapting your style. Like if you're a fast paced person, adapting mm -hmm. your style to listen, if someone's more slow paced, if you're more slow paced, adapting your style to the person that you're with. What's been your experience or what are your thoughts around managing people who have very different personalities? Because mm. that's mm. something I know a lot of my students and listeners are struggle with is how do I manage someone who's quite like different from me? That is that is so that is so important and such a great point. So um, I'm a huge believer. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge believer in personality styles. I've done a lot of research and learning and personal growth around understanding how personalities work and some of the science behind how we're hardwired as humans 
I mean, sort of what our natural communication preferences are, natural styles are. Like I said, the most important thing is to listen. So when people tell you what their preferences are, it's really important to take note of that and listen. But beyond that, there are a lot of sort of natural tendencies people have as a result of their personality style and kind of how they're wired. There are some tools that you can use to get started to learn about it. There's um, DISC, there's Myers-Briggs, there's Strength Finders. There, there are a lot of different sort of um, uh, systems that have been created to help leaders and managers understand the four or five main personality styles. I'm a huge believer in really mastering that knowledge. Um, and I've actually done quite a bit of training and trained other leaders and, and trained other teams around how to do that. I believe in it that much. And the reason I believe in it so much, is I had a breakthrough early in my career. I just have to tell you the story. You know, my first CEO job was at the age of 26. And, um, you know, I had a team that was about to mutiny and I didn't even realize it. I thought I was doing great. <laughs> you know, I thought we were all, you know, we we're all having a great time. We're all pursuing the mission, doing great work. Um, and we were doing great work, but I didn't realize that I had different personalities on my team and my personality was very different from the other folks on my team. And I just didn't really know a lot about it. And uh, I found out through, you know, through a team day, through like a team retreat where we we did a piece on personality styles led by this awesome trainer named Sri Medlock um, who came in and, and took us through it. And I realized in that moment that I had a lot of work to do if I was going to be successful as a CEO and as a leader. And the breakthrough for me was realizing that it's not about treating people the way you want to be treated. Because the way you want to be treated is rooted in your personality. It's about understanding the different personality styles and then treating people the way they want to be treated, which is a completely different thing. You may want to go fast. You may want to um, be bold. You may want to, you may care a lot about legacy. You may, um, you know, you may care more about harmony. You know, you may care more about keeping the team together. All of those things flow from your natural personality style. And so it's not about what you value and what's important to you. It's about understanding what other people value and what's important to them. And then figuring out as the leader, how to speak their language, how to communicate in a style that works for their personality. I've done a ton of work around that. And it's one of the things that I, I, I just am so fascinated by. And, and I love um, teaching to other people. Oh, and how does that work with still being true to your authentic voice. And I'm super curious, especially because you've had experience in lots of companies, lots of industries, but mm -hmm. you come across as so genuine, mm. you know, like you're warm, you're kind, like you're focused, but I feel like you're really good at knowing when this is serious and when we're here to have a good time together as we're like accomplishing our goals. So what's been your experience about, about that part of it? So I'll just be super honest. That's a lot of training and a lot of work, a lot of self-awareness and a lot of work. Because if you met me before I did all of this work to understand personality styles and work on my own communication style, I would have been a completely different person. In fact, you, you probably wouldn't have invited me <laughs> to be on this show. <laughs> you say, hey, that guy has great ideas and he gets stuff done. But man, who wants to work with him, right? I, I was, uh, you know, I was very direct, overly direct, you know, super bold, very focused on the big picture, uh, you know, very quick to create change and change the people, change the process, blow everything up to figure out how to get it done. You know, you might describe it 
as you know just uh you know steamrolling right to get to get things done and there are a lot of leaders who who work that way um and that i had to realize and accept that that was my natural personality style but the 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 breakthrough is realizing that just because that's how you feel inside you can actually learn and you can build up your toolbox to be able to translate that to the styles that other people need to hear and need to see for it to make sense to them and for them to feel motivated and inspired and want to be a part of that team to get the work done you're still pursuing the same goal and you still are going at it you know with the shared process and a unified approach but it's in a more respectful way that really looks out for everybody's different style. And so, you know, for me, I would say, you know, I had to do a lot of work to get to a place where I could interface with people from different styles, you know, people who are very steady, who really value harmony, who really hate change, and who really value the personal connection above everything else. So that's one style. They need to hear things a certain way. And so I've had to learn how to write emails, for people who have that style, when I'm speaking with them interpersonally, how does the conversation begin? How much time do you spend just talking about personal connection? It's different for people who have that style. Um, you know, people who have a style where they're very focused on process, they're very detail oriented, they're experts, they value excellence, they value expertise. You know, they're super, super loyal. Um, that's a different style. You know, and how do you speak their language? What words do you use? You know, I was recently working with um, someone who is uh, in the final stages of being recruited for a CEO job, and literally together we made <laughs> we made a, um, a like a little mini training module for her that had a list of the words you need to remember to say for people of these different styles. And so, people who have that conscientious style, that detail-oriented style, you know, there's certain words that activate them when you're talking about you know coming in as the leader. And then, of course, there's my style, the bold, kind of dominant, uh, fast paced, big picture vision style. Um, and then you have, you know, people who have a more influential style where they're influencers. They rely on using language and and uh, communication as their way to get work done and their way to lead people. They value teams. They're always focused on what could be and what the future could hold. And so it's really important to come to them with optimism and to talk about how you can solve problems in, a, in an optimistic and upbeat way, not in a retreating way or defeated way. So it has to be really in a positive context that we can conquer this problem. How can we do it? And people with that style tend to be very innovative, very creative, uh, very powerful leaders because they are very good at solving problems and they're very, very fast paced. So you really do have to kind of fine tune and refine your style dynamically to match up with these different personality styles, and it's super valuable to be able to spot them quickly when you're in a leadership position. You know, I'm also now remembering, and I'm very curious, with the story you shared about when you were 26, you're in your first CEO role, you thought things were going great, and you didn't realize that the team was about to mutiny. So what happened? Did they mute me? Did were you able to, to pivot and like turn them around? Like what happened? Uh it yeah, no, it was amazing. We were literally in the team day. I mean, we were like in this training session, and this is like when it dawned on me. This is when I realized it because I heard how they described me and how they thought of me and what they thought my personality was. And that was when I realized that I couldn't just reside in my own comfort zone and what felt good for me that I had to learn as a leader, if I wanted to be successful in leading this group of people, I had to learn 
how to translate that to their style, their communication preference, and be able to inspire them and work with them and create a sense of team in a way that respected their their personality style. So what happened was it all came out <laughs> and, the, and the trainer kind of looked at me and said, what do you want to do here? Like, you, you know, do you want to keep going? Because this is about to get really real uh, and you're vulnerable. I mean, you're the CEO, but, um, you know, clearly, you know, there, there, there's a there's a gap here that you're going to have to fill as a leader if you want to be successful going forward. Are you willing to do the work? And I said in that moment, yes, you know, you're Yoda. I'm Luke. Let's do the work. Like, train me. Teach me everything. And I was really fortunate that I had a master trainer right there, you know, in my presence. And so over the period of, you know, a few years, we really worked closely together. And it was amazing in terms of being able to develop that skill set of understanding the different personality styles, being able to identify them quickly, and then being able to adjust my style based on, you know, who I was with. But in that exact moment, you know, we had a really, we had a really intense team conversation where we all kind of put our cards on the table face up and talked about our differences in our natural personality styles, kind of how we're wired. And we actually, in that moment, came up with some uh, ways of working that would respect each person's personality but also allow us to come together as a team and feel connected. And so it was super, super powerful. We actually redesigned the organization right in that moment. We, we changed the way we ran meetings. We changed the way we did emails. We sort of converted this team day from, you know, this sort of high level, intro level uh, session into a very granular roll our sleeves up. We're gonna change the way we work together right now. So the way we emailed, the way we did subject lines and email. I mean, we got super granular, right? And it made a huge difference in our the level of friction within our team and how and how successfully we could work together. And so not only do we keep that team together, but we grew that organization to one of the largest organizations in the industry and most influential organizations in the industry. And uh, we stayed together as a team for a very long time. It was it was super gratifying um, that we were able to all go through that together and, and build on it. That's amazing. And it sounds like it was a very intense team day session. It was, it was, it, but I look back on it and I realized that it was, it was a gift really because it happened so early in my career and it really, it, it's, it, you know, it was like a sliding door that just opened up this whole other pathway that allowed me to be able to do these pivots and, and work in different industries and be successful because I had this amazing sort of crucible experience very early on that really shaped my thinking about leadership and how teams work. Yeah. You know, the thing that also stands out to me in hearing your story is that you were describing before how you're very bold. You like to blow things up. Let's just redo it. <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> Right. But, I'm very typical <laughs> Silicon Valley in that sense. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Right. What you described was that you as a team, like you all had together had to have the conversation about how are we going to do things? It yes. wasn't something that you could do just on your own. It was something that required everyone being really open and really honest about who they were, how they liked to work, what wasn't working for them. And, and then together you could decide, how do we want to do this for us going forward? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And I and I, I understood that my role would also have to shift because typically, particularly in a smaller organization, the CEO is the boss. You know, you make the decisions, you you figure out how to get stuff done. Like you hold all of that. You hold all of that ways of working, culture, like you're the architect, you hold all of that. And so it was very significant to open that up and allow other people in. To, to be co-designers in that process. But I realized that that was exactly what had to happen because I didn't have, I wasn't equipped with all of the tools and all the skills and all the understanding to do it. And so in fact, we, we designed and built a much, a much stronger house, right? And, and that, was the, that was the benefit of doing it that way. Yeah, that is huge because I know with a lot of my students and a lot of my listeners, especially when you're new in a manager role or in a leadership role, there's this mm-hmm. belief of, okay, so because I'm the manager or because I'm the team leader, I guess I'm supposed to know mm-hmm. how to do everything. Everyone's right. looking to me for answers. So I, I better have some answers. So we'll do it this way. And there's a, like a, an isolation that can happen. Yeah, that's very true. And it's just, it's just it's just wrong. It's just incorrect. It's just one of the myths of leadership that you're being asked to lead because you know everything and you have it all figured out. You know, it's just not it's just not how the world works. And even in situations where you think you do, you get a curveball and you get a pandemic or you get a 9-11, you know, stuff happens that you couldn't have imagined and it boom. And now you have a completely different context. So that's just the rules of how leadership, you know, it's just how it works. And so you know, one of the really important things to to be able to do, one of the important, you know, muscles to have as a leader is the ability to learn. And so listening is part of it, but then learning is also really, really important. And, you know, your role as a leader is more about convening spaces where you can listen and where you can also learn. And it's not just about you coming and having all the answers and disseminating all of the answers and, and orders about what to do. You have to be open to learning, and that means being open to new information and new facts. Um, one thing that frustrates me quickly is when people don't know much about something, and then you give them information about it, and so now they're equipped with more information about it, but their position hasn't changed, and they've made no adjustment on the new information. I say it. So, so I go, hang on, you didn't know anything about that before, now you know about it, but you still have the same exact opinion. How does that work? You know, you have to be able to consider new information, new facts, and you have to be open and willing to learn from other people. As a leader, as a manager, people on your team, they can immediately tell if you're open to learning from them. They know right away if you really are authentic in being open to learning from them or if you think you know more than them and it's just about you telling them what to do. And they make a judgment right away if they're going to bring you the juiciest bits of information, the most helpful bits of information, if they're going to raise their hand and speak up, if they're going to try to be a co-designer with you to solve problems um, or if they're going to, you know, lean back. And so it's important to to create that openness. And you can't make it rank-based. You have to be willing to learn from anyone in the organization. You can't only be willing to learn from your direct reports <laughs> or only learn from people in your org um, or only, you know, willing to learn from people who are your peers in rank. You have to have that intellectual curiosity to understand why do things work that way. You have to be an independent learner where you don't just consider facts and information that are brought to you on a silver platter. Like you have to be willing to go out and get information, that intellectual curiosity to want to know why and how. And uh, you got to be a voracious reader and a voracious consumer of information. Most people know this, but just in case you have listeners who don't, you know, most CEOs get up at 4 or 4.30 in the morning. And the reason why people do that is because we have to assimilate 
a lot of information in a 24-hour period. And the only way to do it is to get a head start, you know, while you're on the treadmill, like, you know, <laughs> read it, reading the news. and <laughs> You probably have, you know, the news on the television and you're reading news in front of you on the treadmill because you're just trying to, like, stuff your, stuff your brain with information before you have to start making decisions. You just really have to be, have a news diet and have an approach to, to consuming information to understand what's going on in the world. So that learning muscle is really, really important. Mm. You know, I'm curious too, how has, okay, so this, so I, I'm so loving all of your perspectives and stories, especially from when you were a very young CEO. And I know you've also hold, held positions where there's a lot of managing up where yes. like the, the heart of managing in, in different organizations has been about upward management rather than your direct reports. Can you speak to that? And especially if your experience as a CEO and like top people leader, like how do you use those lessons for when you have to manage up in a really mm. big organization? Mm. Mm. Great, great questions. Um, so managing up, I was very, very fortunate that I learned about this concept um, really early in my career. I literally was in high school the first time I heard that term. Um, I was an apprentice in Detroit at the newspaper there, the Detroit Free Press. I actually did an apprenticeship uh, with J Jamel Hill was actually in my apprentice class. Um, and uh, we were amazing. We, we, we had amazing mentorship. And um, one of the things that we learned was this idea that it's not just, you know, the work you do with your direct um, supervisor or with your peers or people downstream, but it's also, you know, the relationships you have beyond that and the flow of the upstream flow of information about what you're working on that matters a lot. And the way you communicate upstream um, is just as important as the way you communicate with the other people on your team who are peers and, and the way you communicate downstream in your organization. And so this idea of managing up is a seed that was planted very early in my career. And I've had a lot of time to practice it and 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 work at it. You know, I would say one of the kind of secrets to managing up is understanding how to tailor your communication and tailor your message to the audience that you're you're managing up to. I would say the biggest mistake people make, so the flip side of the secret is, the biggest mistake people make is they just, they don't tailor the message enough. So they don't create a version of the email that could go, could be forwarded to the CEO or could be forwarded to the CFO. You know, they only create the version of the email that goes to their direct uh, supervisor, which is good. I mean, the level of detail and sort of the language you use and the kinds of attachments you might have, you know, go that person are, are one level. But tailoring your message for uh, an audience higher up in the organization is always really important because you never know how emails are going to get forwarded or get passed along. And so giving your supervisor the soundbite, giving your supervisor the talking point, giving your supervisor the executive summary, giving your supervisor the one pager is the key to opening the door for um, your personal brand within the organization to go much, much higher in the organization. Um, and then in, in terms of dealing with your direct supervisor, that goes back to personality style. It's super important to understand what is their style because most conflicts between supervisors and direct reports are actually not about the substance of the work. 
they're actually personality conflicts that are rooted in communication. They want communication one way, your natural tendency to communicate is a different way, and you have conflict, instant conflict. They like things really fast, you need a minute, and you take things slower, instant conflict. You know, they like a lot of detail, you're a very big picture, you don't like to get down in the weeds, instant conflict. And so part of it is just tailoring for your direct supervisor, all your communication, tailoring it to their style, understanding are they fast paced or slow paced? Do they like a lot of detail or do they really like you to focus on the goal and the end result and the big picture? Understanding um, how important is it for you to name names and talk about specific people versus simply talking about facts and figures. Those little kinds of differences matter quite a lot in how you communicate. And it's the key, the key is tailoring your communications when you're managing up. Mm. And when you're doing this or when you're thinking about this, how often are you able to simply discern by observing and listening? And when do you simply ask directly, hey, how do you prefer for me to communicate with you? So that's a really good question because a lot of times when you ask people, if, they, if they're not used to getting that question, they might not be prepared for it and they also might get a little suspicious. Like, why are you asking that? You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so, so it is really helpful to be able to notice it and just organically be able to pick up on some of the clues, some of the hints that can help you discover, you know, what a person's personality style might be. Obviously, if you're in an organization where you're already using DISC or Strength Finders or Myers-Briggs, or you're using one of these other systems, you can actually find out because there's a shared language for talking about these differences in, in communication. But let's say you're not, or let's say you just don't have the, the benefit of having that information right away. There are some, some clues that are dead giveaways. For example, if a person speaks very, very quickly, they are definitely a fast-paced person. What's interesting is if you ask a person who's a slower-paced person, if they speak quickly, they might actually perceive that they speak quickly. So they might think, oh, I speak really fast. But it doesn't matter if they think they speak fast. What matters is when you listen to them, does it sound like they're talking really fast? Do they walk really fast? Do they make decisions quickly? All of those things are clues that tell you this person is a fast-paced person. And that means that when you communicate with them, you need to use fewer words you need to be more concise. You need to get to the point. <laughs> you know, you need to accelerate. And that's how you're going to get through them. That's how you're going to tailor your messaging when you're managing up to people who have that kind of a, a, a style where they're more fast paced. Another good hint is just to look at the way people communicate with you. You know, when they ask you to do something, are they very detailed with the request or is it very high level? You know, do they give you a lot of guidance or do they give you a lot of free reign to figure out how to do the work on your own? Leaders who give you and supervisors who give you a lot of details, if they're very specific, they are detail oriented and very conscientious. And that means that you need to immediately understand that, you know, they're going to be very loyal to you but they're gonna demand expertise and a demonstration of expertise. So you'll have to back up what you're saying. You'll have to, it's good to have references and sources and, and a rationale for why you decided to do things a certain way. And you're gonna to have to get down in the details. If you get a, a, an assignment from your supervisor, whether it's written or whether it's, it's, it's verbal and they're you know, telling you what to do, if they're really going into a lot of detail, 
don't shut them down. Don't say, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Let them finish because that's giving you a big clue. That's telling you that when it comes to managing up, you need to be very detailed in how you communicate back um, your work product and the results of this assignment. And so usually in managing up, you know, those are the those are the conflicts. Those are the pitfalls is that people don't pay attention to some of these clues. I just want to say everything. I hope people that are listening are taking excellent notes because you're sharing so much gold in this episode, in this conversation. Like I'm just sitting here <laughs> smiling you. and nodding like, yes, like, oh my gosh, like, ah, oh, so much gold and everything you're sharing. So as you think about a new manager, like someone mm -hmm. who's stepping in, like, and, and I often see this, they're so excited, so eager, really want to do a good job. What is the one thing that you would want them to really hear from you? I would say as a new manager coming in, and I've trained a lot of new managers, I've promoted a lot of people from, you know, individual contributor roles to management track. And so, you know, I have a lot of experience, you know, training managers and onboarding people into their management, you know, life, basically bringing them, inducting them into the ranks of management. And, you know, the advice I always give people is, you know, obviously I tell them, you've got to listen. We talk about that. You've got to, you know, you've got to be open to learning. Um, I don't expect you to get everything right. I don't expect you to know everything, but I do expect you to listen and I do expect you to learn new things. But the, the real advice I give them is I tell them that I believe in you and I believe in your judgment. Judgment is really, really important because even if you have no skills, let's say you're being let's say you're being put into a highly technical position and you don't really have the technical chops to be in that position, which happens quite a lot. I mean, we don't like to talk about it. It's like one of the dirty little secrets of Silicon Valley. But when you're scaling, particularly when you're in hyperscale, people are doing jobs they have no business doing, right? They have, they're not qualified to do those jobs. But the reality is that they get thrust into these roles because of nature in the context of you know hyperscaling or being in a startup where you're trying to grow. And so you end up doing jobs that are beyond your actual skill set. And in a situation like that, the thing that really matters is judgment. Because judgment can overcome technical limitations. It can overcome years of experience. It can overcome uh, maybe skill gaps. It can overcome a lack of having traveled and seen the world. I mean, excellent judgment, outstanding judgment can overcome a lot of things. So message to new managers, the most important thing that you're being entrusted with the message to you being promoted into a position as a manager is that someone believes that you have outstanding judgment your, your judgment is good enough that you should be responsible for a group of people for a team that's really what management ultimately is about it's saying your judgment is so good or at least we believe your judgment is so outstanding that you ought to have responsibility for the team we don't use that word responsibility a lot in corporate world or, you know, when we talk about management. We don't often talk, spend a lot of time talking about responsibility. We spend a lot of time talking about results. We use the word accountability a lot, but I'm not against the word accountability, but I actually prefer the word responsibility because there's a different connotation. The denotation of the words is very similar, but responsibility to me implies judgment. Accountability is about measuring what happened 
and it's about being able to point the finger at who did what and who's responsible for the different outputs in this data stream, right? Responsibility is like, whose job was it to make sure that this was done correctly and done well? Who, who had the judgment responsibility here, right? And that's ultimately for a manager, the way you want to think about it, is that you, you know, we believe in you, you have outstanding judgment. And so check in with yourself and try to think about nine-year-old you. You know, nine-year-old you, before you had degrees and credentials and, you know, experience and all these things, nine-year-old you was very pure. Nine-year-old you was probably near the peak of judgment, right? It's like, you know enough, like, you know not to touch a hot stove, <laughs> right? But, but you, 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 don't, you don't know all the other shades of gray where you could sort of, you know, rationalize doing bad things because you're nine. And so you're still, you're pretty pure in terms of the way you think about the world and the way you think about friends and relationships and things like that. So check in with nine-year-old you and get back to that sort of innate sense of, of wisdom where you consider facts before making a decision, where you're able to quickly explain your decision. You know, nine-year-old you, when mama comes in and say, why'd you do that? You don't have a long time to explain that, right? Like you can't, <laughs> oh, let me get back to you. Let me write an email. Like you don't have time. And, why'd you do that? You better be able to quickly explain, back it up, right? Why, why'd you decide to do that? You know, and the other thing is just really being culturally competent and really understanding, like, bringing that sort of basic justice to decision making. You know, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, these concepts, fortunately, are starting to really come to the forefront and be talked about more in the corporate world and in, in, in all, all kinds of organizations of all sizes. And that, that makes me so happy, so excited. But I'm not even talking about, I'm just talking about basic justice, basic human justice when you were nine right like what's the right thing here and checking in with that as new managers just so powerful in helping guide you to have excellent judgment lawrence thank you so much for sharing so much of your wisdom and your perspective and just like the real the real the real things about managing people that are hard and also just all of your inspirational words for everyone. Really, thank you. Well, you're welcome. And it's just such an honor to be uh, on your show. Um, I'm a fan and have been following your podcast and it's really great to uh, be invited on. So um, thanks again for the invitation and um, to all your listeners, good luck and you're gonna do great. We believe in you. Oh, thank you, Lawrence, so much. My final question, if, if anybody wanted to follow up on, and, and see what you're up to and what your company is up to, is there a way for people to do that? Yeah, we have an email newsletter. Um, you can sign up at zirilio.com. That's Z-I-R-I-L-I-O. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Do you want personal, confidential help with your situation at work? I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching and can help you overcome challenges, reach your goals, and become a more effective leader. To schedule a consult, go to my website, kimnickel.com coaching, and we'll schedule time to talk about what's going on with you and how I can help. Talk to you soon.